our trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Look, I don't have all the answers, so I'm not going to pretend like I do. But like you, I'm searching for the truth. I'm willing to ask hard questions. I'm willing to face uncomfortable situations if necessary. And uh, wherever the truth takes me, that's where I'm going to go. In pursuit of the truth, I'm happy to have as a fellow traveler, my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm good. I feel like I just got back from the Zeppelin field outside of Nuremberg, uh, you know, from watching Dark Brandon giving his speech. <laughs> I, I was dying to talk to you after the president's speech last Thursday in Philadelphia. I mean, look, in front of in front of Independence Hall, no less, what the heck was that spectacle all about? Well, it, it was about conveying, uh, I think, what Dark Brandon isn't even attempting to disguise anymore which is uh, his autocratic tendencies. This is a guy who believes that you should do as he says, period. And if you don't do as he says, then obviously you are a threat to our democracy. That is, uh, in a nutshell, the philosophy of the entire woke left, which used to be considered the Democrat Party, but it's not anymore. So I have to ask you this, the, the color scheme, the blood red, the sepulcher black, yep. you know, the the Marines flanking him off in the distance there. Um, I, I just had... There had to have been some kind of decision made. This is how we want to stage this. Who would do such a thing and why? Well, I think Lenny Riefenstahl is dead, isn't she? So maybe it, maybe it was her daughter or Albert Speer. He's also dead, too. He was the guy who came up with the infamous Cathedral of Light, which used uh, searchlights all pointed upward at the sky to uh, create this eerie kind of outdoor chapel scene. And then the Fuhrer would come to the podium uh, and he, too, was backlit in, in a way as to make him look like a demigod of pagan antiquity. And that's essentially what we had now, except, of course, the Fuhrer is this this uh, dementia-addled old man who could barely keep it together long enough to read a sentence off the teleprompter. Well, it's it's alarming from the standpoint of, look, I know where I know where Biden and his handlers stand, but it sure felt like he was giving a green light to, uh, I don't know, maybe some of those lawless little uh, black-clad anarchists out there, you know, that uh, this is the group you're permitted to go after, or you can go after these uh, MAGA extremists with impunity. It just seemed like open season was being declared. It's it's another example of this this disconnect and this cognitive dissonance that we, uh, on our side, uh, libertarians and conservatives generally, um, who simply just want peace and are trying to be peaceful or characterized as violent extremists, threats to the democracy. Meanwhile, the actually violent, uh, including the rhetorically violent, uh, is is dismissed, or at least it's justified as somehow being acceptable. We have the case, for example, of the attempt to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh. Look, I'm not a big Brett Kavanaugh fan, but nonetheless, an attempt was made to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice. And of course, that story has been memory hold. It's of, of no consequence anymore, whereas you know that if it had been uh, a right-wing extremist they, uh, who had attempted to kill a left-wing justice, let's say uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, someone like that, we'd never hear the end of it. It, it, would right. be, it would be a 24-7 news cycle thing, just like January 6th, which is contrasted with nobody saying anything any longer about the NFA thing you just referenced, 
and the summer of love, you know, back in 2020 when the cities were going up in flames because of leftist violent extremists. Yeah, it, it was definitely it was definitely, you know, a, a, a turning point, or at least it felt like a kind of turning point in that uh, that's the first time in my lifetime. First of all, I've ever heard a president so directly go after not just his his purported opponent, you know, which which presumably will be Donald Trump or could be Donald Trump, mm-hmm. but going after his supporters to the tune of tens of millions of people. That's that's a pretty tall order to demonize and marginalize, you know, roughly half the voting public. Sure it is, but it's revelatory, I think. Uh, it shows that fundamentally these people on the left uh, are not interested in having discussion uh, and coming to a compromise. It's their way uh, or the highway or something even worse than that. Uh, we're dealing, you and I have talked about this before, with a kind of religious movement. That's what it is. You know, a religious movement does not brook uh, heterodoxy, disbelief, lack of faith. And that's essentially what it is. It's not that, oh, you have a different point of view uh, you know, than I have. We'll agree to disagree. It's you're a heretic. You're a bad person. Not only that, you're an evil person. You're a demonic person if you don't agree with what I have to say. Yeah, pretty much the choices we have are, look, either agree and march in lockstep with us or shut up. Or be destroyed. Yep. I guess there's three choices. So, hey, <laughs> you know, let's let's not but pretend you know, that we're limited. Because the cards are on the table, aren't they? We no yeah. longer have to play patty, patty cake with these people and give them the benefit of the doubt. We know what they're all about. And, you know, knowing that, we know that there's no point in trying to reach an accommodation and to be civil with these people. And that's a horrible thing, but it's nonetheless true for being so. Well, and, and something I want to point out here, just for, for people who may be hearing you for the first time, uh, this none of what we're discussing here is about, you know, Donald Trump needs to be installed as president right this minute. You and I both, I think, have criticized Trump on those places where he rightfully deserves criticism. Sure. But our concern goes far beyond just making sure that he's the president. I don't I don't think you see him as the one true, you know, savior of. I, of, I see of no our, human being. I see no human being as a God figure. I think that's a very dangerous path to go down. Uh, you know, Trump can be criticized and has been by me for a variety of things. But, you know, fundamentally, that is not what we're talking about here. You know, we're talking about pathologizing disagreement. And, yeah. uh, and you know, that, that when that metastasizes, you end up with scenarios like you had in, in the old Soviet Union, where if you disagreed with the communist regime, it wasn't merely that you disagreed. They characterized you as mentally ill, uh, and a, you know, I don't know what the exact Russian term was, but essentially a threat to their democracy, and they would, they would cage you or even kill you for that. And, of course, the other example is Germany, where the same thing. If you didn't toe the line and if you didn't participate in what the regime thought was healthy and salutary, you, know, you were then an enemy of the state and cast into a camp or even worse. Yeah. It's, uh, on the one hand, it's, it's kind of nice to see that, okay— it's, it's finally out in the open. They're, they're not even pretending, they being the political left, is not even pretending that, you know, hey, we're all in this together. Now, that brings us to the question of separation. And I, I yep. know that uh, you have written recently on, you know, the idea of, of separation. What are, what are your thoughts? And is it likely that a peaceful separation could take place, or is this something that uh, they're going to burn the house down and take us with them? I don't know. I think we have to start with the predicate, and that's what I got into in my article. I think that at this point, we understand that we are in a situation that's analogous to a bad marriage, where uh, the, the spouses cannot come to some kind of an amicable agreement and resolve their differences. In other words, if they're reconcilable differences, the marriage has to end. And so the question then becomes, how do we end this with the least damage to either side possible? You know, ideally, that will be the best case scenario in a situation like that. And I think that's where we find ourselves now. 
Now, how do we separate? I don't know, because, you know, on the one hand, you have people like us who don't want anything from the people on the other side. We don't want their money. We're not looking to control their lives. We're perfectly content to let them live their lives however they see fit. Problem is that people on the other side aren't willing to just do that. They want us. They insist that we live the way they think we should live. They want our money. They want to take our kids and raise them the way they think they ought to be raised, and on and on down the line. And that's a real problem. It's like an abusive situation, an abusive marriage, where one spouse will not permit the other to depart. And when the spouse finally figures out a way to get out of the bad marriage, that's the other, the aggrieved spouse will do absolutely everything that they can in their power to make the uh, the departing spouse suffer. Yeah, you you point out in your article. It's not like, uh, I mean, look, they, clearly the left despises us. I think, I think Biden was pretty clear. Uh, you know, they, they despise us, but they cannot let us go because even yep. more important than despising us is that they have to make us obey them. Yes. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? If you dislike somebody in the course of your life, if you're a normal person, if you dislike somebody, let alone hate them, the natural instinct is I'm going to avoid that person. I'm going to do my best to put as much distance between myself and that person as possible. But these people, they hate our guts viscerally. They, they, they despise us to the core of our being, but they absolutely adamantly will not let us go because of this lust they have to control. And also, frankly, because we're the cash cow. Who funds the government? It's people like us. You know, the tax eaters are the ones who benefit from people like us, from mulcting us. And so they're not going to let us go for the same reason I use this example in my article, the sheep, uh, that a wolf isn't going to sit there and let the rabbit amble off peacefully into the woods. No, it's, it's a good point. And sadly, that puts us at a very interesting crossroads where I think people can agree, look, maybe a separation should take place, but nobody has an idea how to, to yeah. go about making that happen peacefully. Yeah, and it's a lot more difficult now because, you know, the last time this situation developed, which was in 1861, uh, you had a pretty clear geographic demarcation between the North and the South. It, it made things at least uh, hypothetically easier to peacefully separate if that could have been achieved back then. However, now we have got kind of a, a polyglot a mix. You know, your next door neighbor might be might be very, very blue. Well, you know, you're red. And by the way, isn't it interesting how the left is now blue and the, <laughs> you know, the opposite of it is red, which is formerly the color of communism. But that's a subject for another rant. Okay, we've got to take a very quick break. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. By the way, there's a link in my show notes if you want to follow that. you find lots of great reading at his website, lots of great comments from his readers as well. That's possibly some of the most educational stuff you're going to see. We'll be back in a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you by HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. Eric Peters from EricPetersAutos.com is my guest. And uh, Eric, uh, I see it everywhere I turn, more and more electric vehicles. But uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, you had you had re- recently written that uh, uh, GM is all in. Now on on uh, electric vehicles, what's what's the latest mm-hmm. development there? Well, the latest is the announcement that uh, the Buick division, which currently sells four rebadged Chevrolet crossovers, 
is going to sell nothing but electric crossovers. All of them are going to be called Electro, which is horrible. Clever. It's a once great name for a once great Buick car uh, after 2024 or 2025. But the really interesting thing, which you and I started to talk about a little bit when we were off the air, is one of the one of the things that's being uh, used to sell people on EVs is, oh, you'll save lots of money because you won't be buying gas, but you'll not, you'll be paying through the nose for electricity. Yeah, and look, my my daughter and her husband in Germany. Um, they just bought an electric car, I think about a year ago, and they were very excited. I mean, look, Germany is really leading out in the green, uh, that, that whole green movement. And, of course, it's coming back to yep. bite them, but that's beside the point. But uh, I was surprised at how much it cost to charge their car. Now, yes. my daughter's husband works for, I, I can't remember who he works for, but one of the perks is there's a charger there at work. He can plug in the car mm-hmm. and charge it while he's at work. I saw an article mm-hmm. this morning that said by the first part of 2023, in other words, just a few months from now, Europeans yep. could be paying $270 a charge to charge yep. their cars. Yep. And that's a function of there being uh, not sufficient generating capacity. So what happens when you have less of something for which there is increasing demand? The price tends to go up. So they yep. put all their eggs into this EV basket, to this electrification of everything. So instead of having cars that run on gas and then having houses that are powered by electricity. Now you've got everything that's powered by electricity of which there's not enough. So the price is skyrocketing. And that same phenomenon is inevitably going to happen here because there has been no effort made at all to increase generating capacity sufficient to meet even the needs of the existing uh, uh, pull on the grid from uh, both private and commercial sources. And now you're going to add potentially hundreds of thousands, if not millions of high draw electric vehicles to this, and you're going to start to suffer real problems, both in terms of blackouts, as as is happening in California and some other Western states, and inevitably, you're going to be paying through the nose for this electricity. And not just if you own an EV, you can expect your general utility bill to go through the roof, too, for exactly the same reason. That's, I mean, that is a lot of money. I was in sticker shock three years ago when I was in Germany for Christmas and was paying upwards of seven bucks a gallon for gas. And thinking, yep. good heavens, this is expensive. But the, the thing that got me is the idea, and I think the euro and dollar are pretty much, I think they're about even. I think it's about a dollar yep. to the euro. But to, to get that, that $270 um, charge, which they're anticipating it's going to cost to fully charge your car, you're only going to get 150 miles of range. That seems like That's an right. incredible amount of money for very little travel. Yeah, well, it, you know, perhaps this thing becomes comprehensible when you realize that the object of the exercise is not to put people into electric cars, it's to take people out of cars, it's to diminish their standard of living, it's to impoverish them so as to make them more susceptible to being controlled by the people who are behind all of this. No, I, I believe it. And, and, and it seems like that dependence on the grid, that dependence upon, you know, the updates and everything... Um, it, it sure feels like, uh, hey, the walls just got a little bit closer. And it makes me more of a gas, a gas aficionado than ever. Yeah, well, it's deliberate. You know, I harp on this often because I think it's important to harp on it. Uh, the people who are at the upper echelons, who are the decision makers, who are forcing this off on people, they're not stupid. You know, it's basic math. You can look at how much the, uh, the grid capacity is right now. You can look at how much uh, demand there is from existing private and commercial um, uh, uh, power draw, power you know, sources that require electrical power. And then you can calculate, okay, well, if we add to that, let's say, 5 million electric cars, 
what's that going to do? They know what it's going to do. And yet they're continuing to push it at the same time they are actively seeking to reduce the generating capacity that's available. So what does that tell you? Yeah, that sounds like trouble coming at us fast. Speaking of of coming at us fast, Eric, you had a recent column on passivity in passing. And since this is a conversation (laughs) we have regularly in our family, when it comes to passing another vehicle, you know, safely, um, I'm much more of the mindset of you pass as quickly as you as you can and get back, you know, in your lane and. You know, don't dawdle. But uh, my wife is a little more cautious. Actually, my teenage son is a little more cautious. Talk to me about yeah. uh, what what you were thinking about in, in your, your column on passivity and passing. Well, people have been conditioned, uh, gaslit, I would say, to uh, equate any attempt to pass safely with, with unsafety. You know, but the idea that you're supposed to spend more time in the uh, opposing lane of traffic with potentially other cars coming at you because you don't want to speed. Oh, you know, they tell you that the law says, well, if you, if you have to go faster than whatever this posted speed limit is, then you shouldn't be passing at all. Right. So you're stuck in this position if you're caught behind somebody who's going, let's say, 53 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. Uh, how the heck, how much time is going to take you to pass that guy if you don't go any faster than 55? Most people don't even try for that reason. So then they get frustrated and they'll tailgate. I did. A, I actually caught some, an example of this on video the other day. Uh, I, you know, I found myself behind two cars. The lead car up ahead was going much slower than the speed limit. The car behind that car clearly wanted to pass, but wasn't willing to make the attempt um, because it would have been unsafe and they would have risked a ticket. <laughs> so instead, they tailgate, and that really kills me because a lot of these same people will get mad at me if I punch it and go around both of them because I'm speeding. But somehow it's okay to tailgate. Yeah, and you'll get a ticket for tailgating, depending on, you know, the municipality or the, the area you are. Some cops are very zealous about, nope, you're following too closely. But you make a yeah, good but point. But you know what? That's, even, that's legitimate. That's legitimate. You know, if you are following close, too closely ahead of the ve- behind the vehicle ahead of you and he brake checks you or just slows down because a kid ran out in the road or something like that right. and you don't have enough time to stop, you will run into the back of that guy's car. And that's not safe, is it? No. As contrasted with this nonsense that if I'm driving 60 arbitrarily, you know, if the speed limit is arbitrarily 55 miles an hour on a road and I'm driving 62, somehow that's that I'm told that that's unsafe and that's nonsense. Yeah, I you point out, too, that when when the that slow driver starts stacking cars up and you've got, you know, two or three cars now behind mm-hmm. them, suddenly the person who does say, well, I'm going to go ahead and pass. Now you've got a whole lot more distance to cover yeah. in a shorter time because of the cumulative effect of those cars stacked up. Yeah, they're encouraging, you know, the passivity uh, in, encourages this. Uh, I, I use the word agglutinated traffic environment where people are just chocked together in this block that sort of glacially creeps forward, and it's very frustrating. It increases tension and stress, and a lot of people will act out because they, uh, you know, they're aggravated. They'll tailgate, or they'll swerve, or they'll do other things. Whereas, if people would just behave on the road in, in a manner that was considerate, courteous, and safe, uh, the tension on the road would be far less. You know, if you're if you're driving uh, below the speed limit and a car comes up behind you, the courteous thing to do is that when you have a chance, move off a little bit to the right, let them go by. You know, right. and, and if you're if you're if you roll up on somebody who's going slower than you'd like to drive, well, pass them at the first opportunity to do it safely and move on and go about your business. Well, I want you to know, Eric, your influence has rubbed off on me. And as my kids learn to drive, one of the things I teach them is it's the slow drivers that make everybody else adjust to what they're doing. That's what makes them sure. dangerous. 
Sure. And, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, uh, that we, the faster drivers, get characterized as the unshaved ones. And yet, you know, statistically, this isn't just anecdotal. We're the safer ones. We're the ones who are not likely to get into an accident. We're the ones who tend to maintain control of our vehicles. And the reason for that, I think, is because we are actively driving. We're paying attention to our drive yep. instead of just sort of vacuously staring into space in front of us and making sure we're going to speed limit. Yep. No, I, you, you've spoken it very, very well. Eric, I appreciate you being on the show. Tell everybody where they can find your website, please. Sure. It's epautos.com, the web's best libertarian gearhead site, as I call it. But it's not just for gearheads. It's also for people who are interested in a range of eclectic topics, ranging from uh, libertarian things uh, to just strange and quirky things like old motorcycles, for example. Eric, I always feel better after a conversation with you. Thanks again for uh, shining some light on the matter. Thank you, too. All right. We'll talk later. Mm -hmm. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And a quick shout out here to garagedoorproservices.com. Very happy to have them as sponsors of the program. And if you live in St. George or Cedar City or Mesquite or Colorado City, first of all, you're living in a very beautiful area, so I hope you appreciate how good you have it. Secondly, Garage Door Pros is right there in your neighborhood with local service, installation, repair for garage doors, whether it be residential or commercial. Get on the phone and call them at 435-525-2773 or go to their website. In fact, check out the uh, the customer comments on their website, the reviews that people have offered. It's Garage Door Pro Services. These are the guys you want to talk to, and I do appreciate them being a sponsor of this program. Well, I know we're not supposed to have any doubts about the 2020 election, but you know, having questions doesn't make one an election denier. And I want you to hear a gubernatorial candidate, uh, Carrie Lake. She's running for the governor of Arizona. I want to hear, I want you to hear her awesome response to a reporter's question on the matter. And one of the things that he's asked, it's very hard to hear him in the surf, in the first of the, the um, clip. So I'm going to omit his question because there's just so much background noise. But what he asks her is he says, well, uh, you say President Biden is dividing the country. But he says, isn't uh, isn't Donald Trump claiming that he won the election when he clearly lost? Isn't that dividing the country as well? And he asks her, you know, if, if, if questioning election results is what's actually, you know, keeping us divided. Listen to what she says. How does that divide the country? Questioning, questioning an election where there are obviously problems is, is dividing the country? Since when can we not ask questions about our elections? As a journalist for many years, I was a journalist after 2016, and I distinctly remember many people just like you asking a lot of questions about the 2016 election results. And nobody tried to shut you up. Nobody tried to tell Hillary Clinton to shut up. Nobody tried to tell Kamala Harris when she was questioning the uh, legitimacy of these electronic voting machines to stop. We have freedom of speech in this country, and you of all people should appreciate that. You're supposedly a journalist. You should appreciate that. 
So I don't see how asking questions about an election where there are many problems is dividing a country. What I do see dividing a country is shutting people down, censoring people, canceling people, trying to destroy people's lives when they do ask questions. Last I heard, we still have the Constitution. It's hanging by a thread, thanks to some of the work some people in this area have done. But we're going to save that Constitution, and we're going to bring back freedom of speech. And maybe someday you'll thank us for that. Wow. <laughs> she unloaded on him. But she's right. And and look, it's this is not, you know, to generate more of this us versus them mentality. But you know that right now, one of the, the talking points that is just being repeated over and over, this is the big lie. Okay. They call, they being the, the people in power, the Democrats, the people on the left, say the big lie is that Donald Trump won this election and that the election was stolen. But the big lie really is that no one should be allowed to question what took place in that 2020 election. I just think it's so crazy. You know, that is that is like the litmus test. You cannot question this. And if you do, why, you're undermining our democracy. And by the way, just for fun, I want to play for you just a little clip here. This is about two minutes long. But when it comes to questioning elections... Tell me if you recognize any of these Democratic voices questioning a certain election that took place uh, oh, back in, say, 2016. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. Okay, this was President Calig- Caligula from last week. Nancy there. Pelosi, May 16th, 2017. Our election was hijacked. There is no question. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. Trump Hillary didn't actually Clinton. win the election in 2016. He lost the election. He knows he's an illegitimate president. Well, I right. think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He's an illegitimate president. The election in that sense was unfair because the Russians hacked. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. He's illegitimate. And my biggest fear is that he's going to do it again with the help of Vlad, his best pal. And we're going to be stuck for six more years this guy. And that is terrifying. It's terrifying. Would you be my vice president for candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Bush versus Gore. A court took away a presidency. Speaking to a Democratic group in Chicago Tuesday, he made it clear he thinks Al Gore was the winner. Actually, I think I carried Florida. <laughs> we actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential said Al Gore won that election. I think he won it anyway. Rolling Stone published a lengthy article asking, was the 2004 election stolen? What I observed uh, as a voter, as a citizen of Illinois, uh, four years ago, were troubling evidence of the fact that not every vote was being counted. We cannot declare that the election of November 2nd, 2004 was free and clear and transparent and real. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy. Despite the final tally and the inauguration and the situation we find ourselves in, I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. Wow. You can imagine why Democrats are hoping nobody would ever see those clips, but there they are. And, you know, the 2000 election and also the uh, 2016 election. Now, look, here's the difference 
or at least I'd, I'd like to try to draw a distinction between these politicians and these talking heads that are, well, you know, it's an, he's an illegitimate president, speaking of Trump, and, uh, you know, there's no way that this could have been, and they're, they're challenging the results of elections that they did not like the results of. But the reason they're challenging that is because they want power. They are seeking power. They are seeking dominion over the people around them. Whereas, and this is, I think this is an important distinction, people like me, people like you, when we say, I have questions about this, I don't know if if that was a legit election or if there was some kind of, you know, monkey business going on. I'm not doing it for the sake of power. I'm doing it because I'm concerned that there's, there's no longer any accountability on the part of the political class. If my vote doesn't count, if the system can be manipulated at will, then, then why even have elections? It's, it, it really is just the, you know, once a year or, you know, every other year reassurance ritual that we engage in to convince ourselves, yeah, you're in control. Sure, just like the kids driving the kitty cars at Lagoon. Uh-huh. Yep, you're in control. I just, uh, you know, I, I can't get over the hypocrisy, and yet at the same time, I'm very grateful that the Internet has a long memory. And you can find these clips and you can you can point them out. And it's not going to change. I don't think it will change the minds of most uh, hardcore Democrats or, or leftists. But at least it'll it'll prevent you from being gaslighted into thinking, well, you know, this has never happened before. And nobody in their right mind is going to question an election. The crazy thing is, and I'm, I'm no psychologist. I, I have no psychology background or counseling background. But when I hear about the term psychological projection, and, and I'll just use the, the president's speech in Philadelphia last week as, as an example. Virtually everything that he was accusing Trump and the MAGA Republicans, you know, of, of doing is what he's doing. Ignoring the Constitution, ignoring the will of the people, ignoring the rule of law. But see, we're not supposed to notice that. And I think this is this is pretty common, actually, with with left wing ideologues is they will accuse you of exactly what they're doing. Antifa is a good example of this. We're out here stopping fascism. Really? How are you doing that? We're beating people up and forcing them to march and chant with us. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a really effective counter to uh, fascism. But they'd never believe for a moment. Even if they were looking in the mirror and even if they really, you know, were, were trying to be reflective they would never realize they are the ones behaving like fascists. They are the ones forcing something on people that they don't want and being violent about it. So what do we do? All right. I think I've outlined the problem here pretty quick, pretty clearly. I think uh, the, the frustration that any of us might feel at this is legit. It's justified. But rather than sitting back and stewing on it, in fact, I, I almost feel bad for, for bringing it up in the first place in the sense that, okay, hopefully that doesn't cast a dark cloud over your day or otherwise, you know, interrupt whatever good vibes you had going. It's just very clear that if you want to remain in touch with reality, you're going to have to exert yourself. You're going to have to be willing to pay the price to know what you know and not take my word for anything, not take the mainstream media's word for anything, not take any politician's word for anything. And this is actually a good thing, even though I know it's hard. 
And I, and I get it. You know, the, the world is unfair. And, and sometimes it seems like the, the suckiest people are the ones who have the upper hand. And, and they're just going to maintain this or they're going to they're continue to improve their position. Not so. Life is supposed to be hard. And the difficulty is what spurs us to grow and to improve and to become the best versions of ourselves possible. That's the opportunity in front of us. All we have to do is know what we know and be true to it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Also, a quick shout out here to HSLAmmo.com. That is high-quality, new, and remanufactured ammunition. Also would like to point out to lifesavingfood.com. Food storage and emergency preparedness supplies looking more and more like a wise choice or at least a wise store of value in uh, particularly unsettling times. Speaking of unsettling, i got to share this with you. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of excitement about electric vehicles. And I know that there's a huge push right now to get everybody into an EV, right? we got to get you in that EV. Got to save the climate. Now, Eric Peters makes a very strong case for why EVs have some downsides. Okay, whatever cool factor there is, there are a lot of downsides. This is one of the biggest, though, that I've seen. Europeans could be paying $270 to charge their electric cars. And that's by as early as next year, as their electricity rates explode. That's per charge. So to uh, right now in Europe, I guess it costs about $135 to charge a Tesla to full. But that price is on track to double by the time 2023 runs around. And that means it'll cost $270 to fully charge the average electric vehicle in Germany and France. Now, maybe this matters to me because my daughter and her husband live in Germany and they have an electric vehicle and they were very excited to get that electric vehicle. And I remember being there three years ago. We went to visit uh, my daughter and her husband in, in Germany. And, you know, we, we rented a car and drove and everything. And the cost of gas, I think I was paying right around seven bucks a gallon for gasoline, which was just outrageous. But what I'm seeing here, it looks like these uh, electric vehicles, they're going to cost even more. And, and the part that's so crazy to me is that $270 to fully charge your electric vehicle Gets you what? 150? 200 miles, maybe? It takes about eight hours to charge from empty to full. That's with a seven kilowatt charging point. Holy smokes. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. And if, if I'm wrong, I'll just eat humble pie and, and, and admit, okay, I was wrong on this. But it sure seems like shepherding people into electric vehicles is shepherding them into a transportation option that takes a great deal of control out of their lives. Their dependency on the power grid is greater than ever before. Their dependency upon the manufacturers, like Teslas, where you have to have constant updates to your car, that's greater than ever before. And look at that cost. $27,000 a year, assuming that you, you know, charge, you know, maybe 100 times a year. They crunch the numbers here, and it's it's pretty impressive. 
from the standpoint of that's a lot of money coming out of your wallet. Anyway, I've got a link to this in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I hope you'll check it out. There's also a great article on, I know here in the Intermountain West, there's been a lot of talk about, well, Duke was playing BYU at volleyball and someone in the stands was hurling racial epithets at one of the players who happened to be black. The problem is, hate crime hoaxes are nothing new, and it appears that this is potentially just another hate crime hoax, in the sense that with all those people around, with cameras everywhere, microphones everywhere, cell phones everywhere, nobody recorded this person allegedly using the N-word toward this Duke player. Kind of curious, right? In fact, multiple people have stepped forward and said, I was at the game, I never heard anybody doing this. But hey, when there's attention to be garnered and when there's, you know, hay to be made from from drawing attention to yourself based on I'm offended and uh, you know, now you have to listen to me and feel bad because of what I say. Oh, boy. I guess the point is there's good reason to doubt when someone comes forward with another hate crime. Just keep in mind that there's a good possibility they may be doing it for the sake of drawing attention to themselves and less from the standpoint of, oh, they're trying to correct a wrong or to, to fix something that needs to be fixed. All right, one other thought here, and this is, this is such a great column from James Bovard. I've spent a lot of time talking about the president's speech, and I'm sorry to, sorry to be semi-obsessed with this, but... That was such a dramatic shift and, and to me seemed like such a deliberate provocation, whether it be to the, uh, the American right or whether it be just, you know, giving the green light to all those uh, little violent anarchists on the left. You know, it is now open season. You may go forth and with impunity start inflicting yourselves upon people who don't think like you do. But uh, James Bovard's article, Dictator in Chief Biden's Extreme Hypocrisy, This is a great reality supplement to help keep things straight because there's so much gaslighting going on right now. Bovard says, President Biden made history Thursday night with the first primetime presidential speak with a backdrop inspired by the movie V for Vendetta and Nazi filmmaker Lenny Riefenstahl. The harsh red atmospherics perfectly complemented Biden's attempt to portray ex-president Donald Trump and Republicans as the Antichrist waiting to crucify American democracy. But the most important takeaway from the speech is the supreme hypocrisy of Biden's supreme leader, democracy. Biden, speaking from Philadelphia, invoked the Declaration of Independence to sanctify his spiel, but he omitted quoting the line most relevant today from the author of that declaration. An elective despotism was not the government we fought for, Thomas Jefferson warned in 1784. Now, Biden invoked the rule of law five times, notwithstanding his 20 months of dictatorial decrees. Law professor Jonathan Turley observed, President Biden has arguably the worst record of losses in federal court the first two years of any president, recent presidential administration. A year ago, Biden went primetime for his COVID vaccine mandate speech, an illegal decree to inject more than 80 million private employees that got smashed by the Supreme Court. Biden dictated the moratorium on evicting renters would continue. But the Supreme Court overruled him, scoffing at the administration's attempt to justify the edict by an old law dealing with fumigation and pest extermination. According to Team Biden, Bovard says the president is entitled to seize almost boundless power by merely invoking the name of an irrelevant law. 
Biden decreed last week that taxpayers will be forced to cover the cost of up to a trillion dollars in student loans that he magnanimously decided to forgive. Now, Bustin, Biden rather justified the bailout by citing the HEROES Act of 2003, a law passed to enable the education secretary to help soldiers and their family members during the war on terror. Lawsuits will challenge Biden's debt shenanigans, but the giveaway could buy millions of votes for Democrats in the midterm elections. Biden boasted that today COVID no longer controls our lives, but it was politicians and their shutdown orders that controlled lives, not the virus. Biden vigorously endorsed lockdowns and school shutdowns, which were perpetuated after he took office to placate teachers unions, despite his promise to reopen schools within 100 days. The revelations this week of catastrophic learning losses confirmed the damage that Team Biden and its allies inflicted on tens of millions of children. In his litany of Republican sins Thursday, Biden huffed, Can you believe it? FBI agents just doing their job as directed, facing threats to their own lives from their own fellow citizens. But there's a reason most Americans view the FBI as Joe Biden's personal Gestapo. Are FBI agents doing their jobs as directed when they hound and vilify parents who protested at school board meetings? Biden personally thanked the head of the National School Boards Association for sending the inflammatory letter to the White House that provided a pretext for the FBI vendetta. The FBI has labeled at least dozens of investigations into parents with a terrorist threat tag, according to House Republicans. And we're still learning about the FBI's role in suppressing damning evidence from Hunter Biden's laptop prior to the 2020 election. James Bovard also says that Biden neglected to mention Thursday that he is the censor-in-chief. Team Biden browbeat Twitter to censor specific individuals like Alex Berenson and pressured Facebook to shut down a parody account of COVID czar Anthony Fauci. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who is suing the feds, declared that the lawsuit's disclosures clearly prove the federal government has an incestuous relationship with social media companies and clearly coordinate to censor, to censor freedom of speech. Biden's disinformation governance board would have been a ministry of truth on steroids, but it was shut down after nationwide backlash against the scheme. Jim Bovard says on Thursday night, Biden endlessly denounced extremism and extremists, but he didn't confide to listeners that he considered almost half of Americans to be extremists. In fact, a few hours before Biden's speech, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said, when you are not with where the majority of Americans are, then you know, that is extreme. That's an extreme way of thinking. Wow, way to lower the bar. So Jim Bovard says, look, Biden's entire presidency is a mockery of this nation's founding principles. In 1798, Thomas Jefferson warned in questions of power, then let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. And if a president refuses to be bound by the Constitution, he is behaving like a dictator. You'll find a link to this article in today's show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Thanks again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. This is The Brian Hyde Show.